Amen. Well, good morning. Um, glad to, to, to come back. If you don't know, I um, uh, left a couple weeks ago to go be with our extended family, we would say, with Antioch. If you, if you don't know a little bit about us, we are not just a church here in Bryan College Station, but we planted this church 10 years ago. We, my wife and I had attended Antioch Community Church in Waco, Texas, and from there, um, through a series of events and conversations, God led us here to start a church. But before that, going back 30 years is really when this people, if you will, kind of began. And um, every year, there's an opportunity for us to go and connect with the other Antioch people around the world, be it in the U.S. or overseas. And um, uh, last year, we got to have a, a, a U.S. conference, and now there's up to 45 churches in America that are Antioch community churches. And so we're, we're planting new ones all the time. If you weren't with us over the summer, we sent out a team, Mitchell Welch, our college pastor, and a team of people. They left to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, so, so Antioch, Northwest Arkansas, if you want to go hiking in the Ozarks, you can make a stop in on a Sunday morning there. So they're doing great. We're going to see them uh, this spring for our revived college spring break trip, all right? So if you're interested in doing something for spring break that's better than what anything else is, you can come with us, all right? That's just my opinion. You can do whatever you want. You are blessed. Um, but it was an incredible time getting to, be, getting to be with our people. Not only are there 45 churches across America, and I, and I tell you that so that when you travel to Seattle and San Diego and Boston, and when you make that road trip up to Ann Arbor, almost to Canada, and when you go down to Orlando, that you would know that actually this family is in that place meeting, and although we look different, we talk a little different, our accents may be a little off from one another, the vision and the values and the love for Jesus and his church is the same. And that's what's so neat about this family. And sometimes I even forget that. But when I just got to go overseas, I went to the nation of Hungary. Anyone ever been to Hungary? Yeah, okay, wow, that's actually shocking that some of y'all have. So I, I, I'm not sure I've ever actually met a Hungarian in my life. But I got to meet a lot of them, um, even though we couldn't understand each other. And so uh, I was in Hungary for about a week and um, got to gather with our workers uh, overseas um, and uh, we actually have 110 different teams on the field around the world uh, that are bringing the gospel in a myriad of ways to different people, um, specifically to unreached people groups all over the earth. And so we have incredible heroes that have sacrificed a great deal, that have left America the beautiful and the brave, and have left to go into the nations to bring the gospel to people who've never heard. And so it is an honor to be with them. And the reason why I went is just to go and connect with our people and to provide some pastoral care because when you're sent out from this church, you're sent out from a family, right? And, and, and so I, I, and I also know that that's kind of unique in the body of Christ, that oftentimes if someone wants to be a missionary, go do something that they need to go through another organization. And, and that's not bad, but I think when we search the scriptures and look at the book of Acts, what we've seen is actually it's the job of the local church to raise up its own people to then commission those people to then support those people financially, spiritually, and intercession, prayer, and everything else to support them so they actually know they have a family back at home rallying for them, right? And, and, and I'm telling you, like, I'm not that special of a person, but simply because I was from home base to go and have a meal 
with our people to go and to pray over them, to go and to listen to them, share their stories, was like a million dollar deposit. It was massive, right? Um, and, and so it was just an incredible time. And I tell you that because I want you to be encouraged that God is not just moving in this town. He is, and, and, and he's not just moving in a couple of nations, but God is actually moving in all the nations of the earth right now. Like, he is moving. And so when I say that, I know that sounds like this big statement, like I'm gonna write a book, God's moving all over the place, you know? It just sounds like this feel-good statement. It's not feel-good. It is, it is reality. Like, it is reality. And I got firsthand accounts of people that are saying, we are seeing things happen amongst the Muslim world. We're seeing things happen in the innermost parts of India. We're seeing things happen on these remote islands where just 50 years ago cannibalism was happening. We are seeing things in these areas where terrorists are being harbored and yet they are coming to Christ. We are seeing things happen behind closed doors at governments where you would never know from the news, but secretly they're inviting in Jesus followers to explain to them how they do economics and how they do business. God is moving, and I wish I could give you details, but I can't uh, because I want to keep our people safe and secure, but I'm just telling you, God is moving on the earth in unprecedented ways, and it's not that he hasn't been moving, but he is continuing to do it, and I would say that just as we feel the heat is being turned up, right, politically or relationally, or there's turmoil and all this sort of stuff, let me just say, just when the devil turns the heat up, God turns it up a little more. Right, and so, and so yes, the pressure's being applied from the enemy, but if you look throughout historically, where he turns the pressure up, the church just multiplies. And so he hasn't learned that lesson yet to lay off us. God is moving, in fact, I would say this, I can't mention the country, but you can guess, there's a country in the Middle East that actually, um, uh, that, cur that currently right now has the single largest movement of people coming to Christ and most rapid amount of people coming to Christ, being baptized and discipled, and this nation you would not be able to go vacation in. And, and yet the gospel is there and the underground network by the millions of people are coming to Christ, but yet if you just watch CNN and Fox News, you would never know this nation, the underbelly, is being turned over for Jesus, right? So I'm, I'm letting you know, like these are the things that are happening in these days. And I wanna share with you just, as, as we go into today, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture here, and I wanna share with you just a couple of things that God is doing, doing. but I wanna take you back to also who we are as a people, right? Because if you're here for the first time, you thought, man, I'm just going to this little dinky church, and Brian, and here we are. It's like, no, no, you're part of a larger story. You are part of a family. And, and, and all you have to do is go on a mission trip with us over the summer and get to interact with that family in Namibia or in Indonesia, interact with that family in, uh, in, in Sheffield, England, or in South Africa, and you'll say, oh my gosh, this is like we're doing a life group again. Oh my goodness, we're actually doing time with Jesus. Oh my goodness, we kind of pray similarly. That's in, wow, we come into a place of worship and it feels right, it feels the same. That's what's so beautiful about a family because the family values are being exported all over the earth. It's so encouraging. But you know, there's, there is a scripture that God gave the leadership who had started really this movement of churches. Jimmy Seibert and his wife, Laura, they had started a training school many years ago 
And, um, and in the midst of all that and planting churches, God spoke to them through three different people, kind of gave them the specific scripture. Um, one was this, was this man, Joe Yoon, who you may have heard. He comes by time to time. He's a great old Scotsman. He's about this tall, and everybody loves talking to him because he's got the real Scottish accent. And so Joe calls Jimmy up in the middle of the night and says, hey, Joe, I, I, hey, Jimmy, I got a word for you. I want you to know that God's speaking Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Jimmy's like, okay, thanks, Joe. It's the middle of the night. I need to go back to sleep. <laughs> Jimmy goes to a conference in California, and some guy I never met before, he's walking into the church. This guy grabs him and says, hey, God told me to come over and give you this scripture, Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Jimmy's like, I've heard that before, right? And then another person in Waco comes up to him on a Sunday morning and says, hey, God gave me the scripture for you, Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, all within the same seven-day period. Right, so whenever God does something once, you're kind of like, maybe that's him. Twice, probably him. Three times, it is for sure him, okay? So he goes and looks it up, and this is what the passage says. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. So you can imagine at the time, you know, there's only like one church, a few fledgling believers, <laughs> not really sure this thing's gonna take. <laughs> and yet, wait, God's speaking this scripture? Enlarge it, what, what tent? We don't have much of a tent. It's like one of those like single person tents, you know? I mean, you're just, okay, like we're gonna stretch this thing. Like, okay, so, so God, you want us to, to kind of look broader, to kind of to look bigger. And really, out of this passage is where such a heart for church planting and reaching the unreached people groups of the earth really emerged. And instead of it being like a good idea, it all of a sudden became a calling. And can I just tell you that in this life, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've given your heart to him, it's one thing to say, hey, taking this job seems just like a nice idea, it'll pay good. And, you know, taking this job seems like a calling right now in my life. You'll approach those coworkers and that boss and that company a whole lot differently. You know, living in College Station is just a step along my road to whatever God has for me here in College Station. I'm just a student, so I'm just gonna kinda be a little in, but kind of still back in the hometown thing, thinking about all the exciting things, but I'll, I'll kinda participate on some level. I'll attend church or I'll attend this and that, but I'm not really gonna live here. I'm just, I'm just a renter, right? And we have that idea, you don't get the fullness of God. Because instead of saying, actually, I'm called to be in this place for the next four years, and I'm gonna give everything I've got to this place, and then God's gonna move me, I'll give everything I got to that place, that's how we're supposed to live. So Jimmy started saying, hey, that's who we're gonna be as a people. We don't know when Jesus is returning, and we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but we have today, and so if we'll start living like today and say, man, God's invited us into this place, to enlarge, to stretch out, and to be thinking forward, thinking that our descendants will possess the nations. That word I got to see lived out this last week. Talking to people that are 25 years old and talking to people that are 45 years old that actually went out on the field 20 years ago, and these people have now joined their team, and they're getting to see the fruit and, the, and, and all the rewards that these people labored for seven years not seeing one person come to Christ. Right, like imagine that newsletter. Hey guys, I'm here in the Middle East. Nothing's changed. <laughs> it's just harder, <laughs> right? Uh, we have nothing to report. The kids are doing good, you know? Um, 
we're still trying. I mean, imagine for seven years, you've raised money, you've learned language, you've literally sacrificed, you've had to avoid being kidnapped and captured many times, and yet what do you have to show for it? There's no one at our church. There is no church. But they labored, and then God provided the breakthrough. Provided the breakthrough. And here's one big thing we're getting into today, which is God is speaking to us right now as a people around the world that that laboring, it needs to start in the secret place. Like the laboring is not having a strategic conference. The laboring is having strategic prayer. The laboring is in the intercession. The laboring is when no one else sees. And the laboring is gathering twos and threes and saying, you know what? We're not seeing any breakthrough. So we can either just try harder and grit our teeth and get more pumped up and put down more caffeine and try again, (laughs) which isn't working. Or we can change our strategy and say, you know what? No, no, no. We're going to intercede and start contending in the unseen realm because what we're seeing, we're doing our level best and it ain't working. Right? I don't know if you've been there. I've uh, lived a lot of my life there. (laughs) Hey, what I'm seeing, I'm trying as hard as I can. I just can't run any faster. But maybe if I ask the God of speed, Lord, can you just, and it's like, okay, he just took care of whatever I couldn't do. So that's what God's inviting us back into. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. We're We're gonna look at the Lord's prayer today. And um, whether you've recited the Lord's Prayer, whether you've uh, maybe even taught in it in life group or in a Bible study, or you remember growing up with it, I want to bring us back to it because, remember, this is the model. Like, this model hasn't changed. Like, what Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago hasn't changed in terms of the emphasis and teaching us how to pray and what that needs to look like. And as we're looking into that, back in August, Chris and I had a chance to go to this, uh, to this gathering of different senior pastors, and, and, uh, and, and we were actually talking about World Mandate, and we were there, and kind of at this one-day meeting, the real stirring for us was that, man, we gotta be people that learn how to pray again. And, and, and it, it, was, it wasn't one of those, like, we've never prayed. You know, it wasn't those, well, we've just never prayed. We're just horrible people. It, it was, you know what? Because we've emphasized something else, we've maybe lost something that we need to restore. And I would argue that's many times what it looks like in our Christian life. It's like, man, I'm, I'm all focused on this thing because this is what I'm reading or this is what I'm excited about, but then I tend to forget something else that actually needs to be held up, held up equally, right? So we're gonna look at Matthew 6, five through eight. Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse eight, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, we're about to unpack the Lord's Prayer, but I want you to see that three times Jesus says, when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, and now he's about to say, pray then like this. Jesus is emphasizing that prayer is not showboating. Prayer is not a, 
It's not a debate, right? Uh, it's not who can, who can outpray the other guy, right? Like, prayer is not eloquent words, as Paul says. Prayer is not this thing where we say, look at how spiritual or righteous I am. And you have to remember at this time, he's speaking not only as disciples, but everywhere he's going, he's interacting with this group called the Pharisees who really prided themselves on being really like committed to the Torah, which was, which was the law. Like it was, this is what the law and the prophets said. We're gonna be committed to that and we're gonna make sure everyone else around us knows how spiritual we really are. By the way, our hair is done. By the way, where the clothing is worn. By the medallions that we have by even the words that we use, they're gonna know, hey, I'm a spiritual guy, right? Modern day, we may say, hey, you know when someone's speaking a little too much Christianese? They need to get out of the bubble. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but I did in college some. You know, Christianese, like no one understands it unless you're inside that little bubble, and yet we do it all the time. And, and, and you'll be talking to your waiter, and they're just kinda like, What? You know, and we, we, use these, we use these words and these terms, and it's like, hold on a second. Jesus was really great at connecting with his audience, and they were very uneducated people. They certainly weren't educated about the kingdom because no one knew about it. He was explaining it. He was revealing it. And so for us as a people, we need to make sure that when we talk about prayer and intercession, it is not about, we're not trying to impress God. God is not impressed by us. I know, that's a bubble burster, right, for some of us. Like, he's really not impressed. He made you, he actually knows all your strengths and weaknesses and still loves you. He loves you, I would not say he's impressed by you. He's impressed by himself because he's God, right? <laughs> he's actually about his glory, not yours, and so I can say that. So God is not really impressed by your prayers. So then the question is, who are we trying to impress? Right, our spouse, right? Like, you're married six months in, I'm gonna prove to her I'm really that spiritual guy. You know, I remember that, I remember that pastor said at our wedding, I am a man of God. So we're gonna just show it right here. <laughs> right? And so I'm I'm checking Sports Center in the morning, right? But then she walks in. Thank you, God. You're just amazing. Right? It's like, oh, no, I was, I mean, come on now. Like so, sometimes we we kind of flip the switch when there's other humans in the room. Right? But I'm all about that as long as that switch is flipped when no one's around. I think Jesus is saying, hey, flip the switch when it's just you and me. I actually want your best. I actually want your most radical. I want your most hardcore, your most emotional stuff, just you and me. Because I know it's about no one else. That's why he says go and close the door so that you can be free to just call upon the Father without worrying about anybody else. I'm not minimizing corporate prayer Life group prayer, we do that too. But if you cultivate this heart in the secret place, then praying with other people is not a big deal. Because now you're praying with them, you're not trying to impress them. Does that make sense? All right, so here we go. Matthew 6, Jesus, thank you for this model of prayer. He says in verse nine, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is a sense of of authority and respect that we are giving the Father. So when we pray, we are not, we're not praying to some fictitious God or some invisible thing. We are praying to God, the creator of the universe. 
who's revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is to be respected and revered, and there should be a, a, a sense of God's holiness when we come into his presence, right? God is not your buddy, he's your God. He's your father, right? And here's what I know, I, I've only got, you know, my oldest is 10, my youngest is one, okay? I don't know what to do with teenagers, so don't ask me, okay? Ask someone else who's teenagers, they're way wiser. I have a sense of what to do with my children that are 10 to one. And here's what I know. Um, they want me to be their father, not their friend from school. I'm not trying to be cool with my kids. I'm trying to be dad. But a awesome dad is not lording his dadship over his children. He wants his children to come to him no matter what state and to say, I'm here, let's talk, let's hug, let's play together. I'm here, but I need you to come to daddy like I'm your daddy. Don't, don't say, uh-huh, say yes, sir, right? Like, don't just say, oh, sh no, 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 yes, ma. Like, give some respect. And I would argue that some of us are struggling in our walks with God because we actually don't have God in the right place. We put him on the, I don't know, on the same scale with our professor or some disciple or some church leader. No one compares. He is God, right? And, 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 and if you don't know that, I would encourage you, read back through the Old Testament and see where the Israelites got off on who God really is and how he revealed himself in a very serious way that um, he made it really clear who's in charge. And if you're gonna pray, you're actually asking for him to move on your behalf. And so when my children come to me and they respect me and they say, Dad, this, what's going on? Or, Dad, can you help with this? And, and they come to me with this sense of, Dad, I know you can help me. You're the only one who can help me right now. And when they come to me like that, man, I want to just... Let's do it. Come on, you need your bike fixed? I'll take care of it now. But they come to me and they sense this not the right heart. It's like, hey man, I, I don't know if I'm gonna move on that. Remember, God doesn't just move because we say the right thing. God knows our hearts and that's who he's most interested in. So when we come to the Father, we need to come to him. The sense of honor and our approach to him matters. Then Jesus says, the second point, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I was talking to some of our guys over there in, in Hungary, and um, several of them actually in 1991, so you know, from 1945 to 1991, the Soviet Union ruled kind of east of Berlin and this whole Eastern Europe and the Soviet bloc, right? All the stands, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Russia, Ukraine, Hungary, Poland, the whole deal, the Russians, Ruled, so Soviet Union, that's why I had such a great Olympic team. I mean, they had, you know, they had like 40 countries to pick from, you know. We still beat them a few times, okay, but, um, but so you had the whole Soviet Union that literally ruled this entire region. Well, the Soviet Union, if you don't know, they were an atheistic 
uh, uh, structure and culture, right? So when the Communist Party came in, said there is no God, but you know Stalin and Lenin, and so you had the actual figureheads, the political leaders became the God. They were the one. It was this dictatorship. So God was not allowed. Jesus was not allowed. Church were not allowed. Bibles were not allowed. You were imprisoned or or killed or whatever. I mean, it was very intense. They were trying to eradicate any belief system that was not the Communist Party is the sole sustenance for my life. That is where the road leads. So that was the Communist Party. The wall falls in Berlin, right? December 26, 1991, the Soviet Union starts to collapse and fall. And so the West says, hey, there has not been an opportunity to bring the gospel into these like 30 nations for 50 years. Let's go. And so you had everybody just getting over there in planes. And I was talking to some of our people who had gone. They saw the wall fail and they said, we gotta go. And there was like two weeks later, they're on planes and they're sneaking in to get into Siberia and Russia. They're hooking up their wagon with different things. And so you had sports camps happening to bring the gospel. You had Christian artists coming doing these concerts. You had all sorts of stuff. And if you were around that time, you knew like, man, the church was trying to bring the gospel in. But through all these different entities and organizations, and some of our guys, they went and they said, we're gonna go to plant churches. That's it. it. It doesn't look very attractive. It's not so cool, but we're gonna go. So they went and they just shared the gospel with people till so they found people that received the gospel. They started discipling those people, and then they said, all right, let's start meeting together as a life group. Now as a life group, let's meet as a couple life groups. Now you can start gathering. Now you've got a church. Here we go. And I'm here to tell you that from 1991 till now, those churches remain. But I was talking to them, and they were saying, you know, the sports camps, these major uh, Western organizations and missions agencies that sent stuff, none of those things are around. They came for a year, five years, maybe even 10. They're not around anymore. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I would argue he's talking about the church. He's talking about plan A. And I just want to tell you, we are a, we're in the business of plan A, guys. I'm not a plan B person. We're doing plan A. Uh, plan A is Christ and the church is the hope of the world. Um, the other things are great, but detached from the church, won't make it. Right? Hey, and here, let me just say this. If we, if we look at the news too much, we get discouraged. I'm with you. That's why I don't look at it too much. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't handle that, you know? Um, but let me just tell you, for all the turmoil and stuff that we think about, if I was to go around and say, hey, what's the most troubling thing to you? Let me just encourage you with this, okay? Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. The church is birthed and emerged, and has made it through all these empires, all these dictatorships, all these wars, the church remains. It is the oldest and most trusted, longest lasting organization that actually has been global and multicultural and multi-ethnic before that was ever a thing. I mean, it has been the global organization of planet Earth for 2,000 years. Isn't that cool? Like, it's outlasted. It's not even publicly traded. I mean, it's, it's incredible, right? You, you can't even, it's, because you know what? It's actually inclusive, there's actually, there's only one entrance exam. It's through Jesus. You go through him, you're part of the club. You're part of the family. Doesn't matter if you speak whatever language. Doesn't matter if you can play an instrument or not. Doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or running. If you're an athlete, if you're poor, if you're rich. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. Doesn't matter where you've come from, your family background. None of that matters. 
Isn't that so cool? It's literally the only organization where none of that matters. And it's free. Oh, man, it's free. No subscription, right? It's free. There's not $9.99 a month in order to stay part of the team. Isn't that incredible? Guys, we're in the planning business, and I'm talking to them, and I'm hearing the stories they're telling, and I'm just humbled and blown away again. Because you know what each of their stories entailed? Yeah, so there we are in southern Siberia. We literally show up. There's still military all around, and so we're just, we're not even sure where we're going to sleep. We're not sure where we're going to stay. I mean, we're just trying to, they literally tell me stories. We're walking down a street, and we just stopped, and it said, Spirit of God, which way? Right, right? Okay. We're going right. Spirit of God, which way? Left? Le- I mean, literally. And moment after moment, God gave them these divine appointments with people that gave them access and entry points into areas no other Westerners were allowed to go because they simply just said, which way do we go, Lord? Which way do we go, Lord? What do we do now, Lord? And they're like, hey, why don't you speak? And they're like, Whoa, we didn't expect that. What are we going to talk about? You know, just all of a sudden, and then they're sharing the gospel. People by the hundreds are giving their lives to Jesus. Never heard this news before, ever. They're 35 years old, never heard about Jesus, Christianity, or anything. And they're like, what? This, you can be forgiven? And these people are coming to Christ in droves, and they're seeing drug addicts come to Christ and being set free from their addictions. And it's like this crazy movement's happening in southern Russia. And I got to go visit that church. Five years ago, I was invited to go to their, to their, to their 20 year, whatever it was, 20 year celebration, 25 year celebration. And I'm there, and you know, it's, it's 200, 300 people. It's not, it's not Western, it's, but man, they were telling me 90% of those people had a drug addiction or had uh, HIV. And many of them had been miraculously healed. <laughs> and I was like, so I'm shaking hands with people. I'm like, you should be dead. <laughs> and they're alive. Shaking hands of people. You shouldn't have been able to get pregnant. And here's your children. Only the gospel. Only the power. And I'm thinking, the church is plan A. So I just want to tell you, whether you're here at Antioch just today and you leave, or you're here the next 10 years, I don't know. Get this, that the church is what Jesus came to establish and build and promote, and it ain't going away. And yes, the church ain't perfect from the sense that it's composed of us, right? So when you get discouraged, just be like, yeah, I'm part of that problem too, okay? Don't just do this, right? You know the old saying, it's here, and then there's four back at you, right? So just remember, we're part of the deal, but by the grace of God, he loves us anyways. By the grace of God, he still let Peter go and start planting churches even though he denied him three times, then he really got his heart. By the grace of God, he took Paul, knocked him off a horse, blinded him, got him baptized in the Holy Spirit, led him off in this place. He got filled up. He got discipled. He came back, and everyone's like, that's that crazy guy. He's like, no, 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 I've changed. They're like, no, no, I'm, I'm not Saul. I'm Paul. They're like, you can't just change your name, buddy. You know, just, you know, wait a second. <laughs> you look like that guy, right? But God used the, like, biggest villain in the Middle East. He was a terrorist by many respects terrorizing the Christians. But man, when we start praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, those people start getting knocked off their horses and they start paying the great evangelists. When you start praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, that guy at work that hates your guts starts asking you for marriage advice. Right? When you start praying, your kingdom come, 
your will be done. That college student that's on the, on the verge of depression all of a sudden gets pulled back into the light and they're lit up and they're joyful and they're like, I don't even know who you are. When we start praying to God who can move mountains, and by the way, created them so he can move them, we start praying to him, oh man, things start changing. But we're, we gotta pray. We gotta ask him. Give us this day our daily bread. This is our number one value as a church. Give us this day our daily bread. What is that? It's time with Jesus. You gotta get time with him. There's, there's not healthy marriages where the husband and wife don't get time together. And, and I would say this is more important than your marriage. This is more important than your kids. It's more important than your business. It's more important than your academic career. It's more important than anything else is time with him because he's actually the one that we're serving. He's the reason why I'm alive, why I'm set free. And honestly, the more time you get with him, the better friend you'll be, the better marriage you'll have, the better parent you'll be, the better business leader you'll be. The more time with him only produces good things. You remember Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt, right? He was set free, or they were set free, so then they, they crossed through. The whole parting of the Red Sea happened, right? There they are, and Moses is leading the people, and they're out in the wilderness for 40, not days, years. 40 years, right? Millions, the estimates, two to three million people left Egypt, okay? 40 million. So they're like, great, we're free, and now we're gonna all starve to death. Because, you know, the desert doesn't have a lot of food, you know, uh, it was desert, <laughs> and there they are, and God speaks to them and says, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. Every day, you're going to go out in the morning, and there's going to be this stuff called manna. We'll just translate it bread. Manna, it's going to come down from heaven, literally be on the ground. It's going to be fresh, like hot out of the oven, and you're going to take this stuff, and you're going to eat it. But if you gather too much of it, by tomorrow morning, it'll be rotten. You only can eat what you need today, but tomorrow you'll be hungry again. Do you know why he did that? I don't think it was just to keep them alive with their bellies. God was trying to say and get it into a people for 40 years, if you do not eat the daily bread, if you don't trust me for your provision and sustenance, you will die. Now, I would argue if we just took away all the food supplies we had and also we rely on the manna from heaven, we might kind of shift gears a little bit. We might start recognizing, oh my goodness, we need the daily bread. Now, four years ago, thanks to our worship pastor, Kaylin Taylor, he nudged me a little bit to look into this whole bread-making thing, all right? Now, I like bread. I liked bread before, and I really like bread now. So um, four years ago, I started getting into the bread deal, and I don't know if you know much about bread, but if you're gonna make your own bread, you gotta have a starter, right? And so we got any starters in the house? Any people doing starters? Come on, we got a few grandmas, a few people. Come on, let's go. Wiley, thank you, Wiley. So uh, all of you are probably gonna start doing bread after the sermon, okay? So this is an application point for you. Um, so, um, so, you know, about, about four years ago, um, started. So when you make a starter, right, you get like a jar and you add flour and water. It's pretty simple, okay? Flour and water, you add it, then you feed it and you feed it and it gets to where it becomes a sourdough starter, right? So it smells sour and it kind of looks gooey, but it's the starter. Well, in order to actually make a loaf of bread, you don't just make it with that. You take starter, you add it with flour, water, and salt, right? Just simple greens. That's how bread is made. And, so, but, but the thing with starter is, though, once you get it started, you actually have to keep feeding it. If you stop feeding it, it'll get moldy and it'll die. But if you keep feeding it, then you can actually make bread. And actually, just yesterday, so I came home from my trip, and I wanted to make some of my bread, all right? So I come home, I feed the starter. You actually have to make bread within 
12 hours, 24 hours would be stretching it. Usually within 12 hours of feeding that starter, it's when it's now ready. And what happens is it actually gets gassy, it gets kind of bubbly, it starts smelling really sour, and that's really good. And then from that, you can add it with the flour and the water, and then it helps that natural yeast is in there and it actually helps the bread rise. That's how you make bread rise without the instant yeast packets. It's called naturally like leavened bread, right? So that's how you make it. But if I don't feed that starter, that bread won't rise. If I don't feed that starter, it won't be any good. It'll be bad. I actually have to feed it within 12 to 24 hours, which means for us, it's the same thing. If you don't feed your soul every 12 to 24 hours, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna be a little bad. You're gonna be a little off there. Like, you're gonna feel like this just isn't working. I added other stuff in my life. I've got, the, I've got the right ingredients. The problem is the main ingredient, the starter, flour, water, and salt will just be this little mush you can play with. It ain't rising. But you gotta have that starter added to it, and oh my goodness, the glory of God shows up this little loaf of bread. I can't wait to eat it when I get home today, okay? Uh, so delicious. So just think about your life. Hey, am I actually feeding my soul every day? Or is it just once a week? The last two points, we'll move along here. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, today or tomorrow, sometime this week, you're gonna be offended. I was yesterday. <laughs> um, you're you're going to be offended. If not weekly, probably daily, if we're honest. And it's usually by the people that we love the most. Right? Kids, spouses, friends, roommates, so forth. But, but you're, you're going to be offended. And the deal is, is that um, we can't allow the offense to take root. Because when it does, it becomes bitterness. Right? So once offense takes root, we become bitter. When I was in college, I really, um, I was attending a church at the time, not super involved, but I reached out to them and I asked, could someone mentor me? Like, I wanted like an older man to mentor me, you know? And um, I didn't know much, so I reached out and emailed, and I heard they had this mentoring program, and I thought I would get it, and they emailed me back and just said, hey, thanks so much. We'd love to help people we can. We don't have enough mentors. And I took that as a fence, and I got bitter. I mean, it was three, four years later before I ever dealt with that. So then my view of men in the church was rejection. So I actually took that view, not just of the guy sending me the email, but every other older man in the church was like, yeah, you probably don't want to know me. That offense turned into bitterness, where then now it turned into a lifestyle of I'd push away older men. Isn't that sad? I allowed one little email to offend me, and then because I didn't deal with it, became bitterness, and now then I kind of wrote off an entire population of people. One thing, guys, we've got to deal with this. At our conference, we were talking about just bitterness, and someone put it this way. They said, bitterness plus, like, bitterness and offense, like, those two things, when we deal with those, that usually is the key to breakthrough for almost everything. And these are people that are counselors and do this for a living and stuff, and they're like, hey, what we're finding is that most people, it just goes back to root of bitterness, it started with an offense, led to bitterness, and that's why they are where they are. And I was thinking, I think they're right. <laughs> uh, most things, guys, that we deal with that are plaguing us, you need to go back to where you were first offended. That means you gotta go back in time, which is not fun, and it's painful. But I'm telling you, if you will allow God to minister you to you in that place and go back in time and deal with that offense and where that got bitter and where that lie formed, you can be set free. 
If you go to the beginning, you can then right the wrongs, correct it, and then, oh, now I see them differently. Now I see older men, I don't reject them. Like, man, I would love to get time with you. I would love to hang with you. I would love to learn from you because I dealt with that bitter place in my heart. And you know, sometimes we'll say to someone in a conversation or a discipleship, we'll say, you know, I'm really hurt. And, and I would argue we need to change that from saying, uh, I'm really hurt to I have unforgiveness. Right? Because when you're saying I'm hurt by what you said, I'm hurt by what you've done, what you're saying is that you actually have unforgiveness in your heart because of what they did. But you actually have the power to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. Guys, we have offended people. We've got to let other people off the hook. We can't hold it against them. And if we want to have real friends or real marriages, we have to take this on. So what do you do? You pray. Say, God, show me where the offense and the bitterness in my life. You then choose to forgive. Lord, I forgive them. That was very hurtful, very painful. But Lord, I will forgive them. And then you ask the third question is maybe really, really important here. Um, Lord, what is my part to play? What's my part to play? Because it can't just be, God, show me the offense of bitterness. I'm gonna forgive them. We're good. I had no part to play. I'm not responsible for that. Well, hold on a second. Um, I wanna forgive them, but then I want God to deal with me. Do you understand? That's how you get whole. You can't just stop at point two. You gotta go to the third one. You gotta ask the toughest question of all, which is, God, what did I do to contribute to this? Show me. If it's even it's little, Lord, let me change. Let me learn from that. All right, the last thing Jesus said, here we go on how to, how to pray. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I wanna invite the band on up as we get ready to close here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, we need to be able to pray and partner with God. Temptation exists, right? You, we know the scripture says, hey, like the devil's crouching at the door, right? Um, so like temptation is all around us. It's on our phones. It's in, it's, it's in our classrooms. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our lives. It's in our culture. Temptation exists. Temptation's not disappearing. It, it doesn't matter what we do. We can't, like, we can't do a cleansing on all temptation. It, it exists. It will exist for the rest of our lives. It does not mean that you have to act upon temptation. Those billboards aren't going away. <laughs> Those little pop-ups in your browser, they're not going away. Unless you get that pop-up block, I guess, you know? But, but like stuff is there. But you have the power to say no. But you actually have the power to say, no, no, I know where that billboard is, and I'm cruising right. I'm, I'm so thankful, by the way, for College Station. We don't have billboards. Praise God. You know? Did you know that? It's, it's amazing. I go to, like, Dallas, Houston. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I just, I'm just trying to drive. Narrow. I need, I need those horse blinders. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Temptation's all around us. But Jesus is saying, hey, it's important that we pray. God, lead us not temptation. Don't lead us into that trap. Like, he wants us to be forward-thinking. Lord, don't lead us into that. Lead me away from that today. Lord, as I go to work today, lead me away from temptation. I don't want to be tempted to get angry or to get spiteful at someone. Lord, lead me to a place that's not that. And then God, by the way, if evil's all around me, if it's surrounding me, like when David writes in the Psalms or when I feel like everything's against me, Lord, deliver me from this evil because he is the God of deliverance. He's delivered people throughout history and will continue to do so. He's delivering you now if you want to. But you could ask him. God, deliver me from this evil in my life. So here's how we're gonna end. I want us to stand up. 
want our prayer teams to come on up here to be available. We're gonna worship together, but just as we go into that, I just want us to recite the Lord's Prayer. And as we do, we're gonna have it up on the screen. I just want us to, I want you to say it. And, and as you're saying it, as we get done reciting the Lord's Prayer, I just want you to just ask the Lord. Here we are, just praying, we're talking to God. God, what, what, what aspect of that am I really not believing? Like, what aspect of this do I'm really not on board with? Like, I've just said it, but I don't know if I really believe it. Because we don't wanna have people that just say things. We don't wanna just recite a prayer or just look at lyrics of a song and sing along. We want it to mean something, right? And so we're gonna say the Lord's Prayer together, and at the end, we're just gonna go into worship. These guys are available to pray for you. Anything you need this morning, they're available. Just whatever. If you just say, hey, I just want someone to pray with me, come on. We will invite you to come on up. But I want you to recite this and then ask the Lord just privately, God, show me one of these things, one of these statements, one of these words maybe I'm struggling with. God, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm there. And just ask him for help. We're talking about prayer. You can pray to him right now, right here, and he will speak to you. He'll interact with your heart, and you'll get a sense, man, God is here. He loves his children crying out to him for help. And that's all we're doing. So here we go. Let's pray. Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Don't just say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Lord, we just say thank you and amen. We say thank you for the simple model of prayer. It's not many words, but Lord, it is heartfelt, it is deep, and this belief system that needs to rise up to attach itself to this prayer so we'd be a people that actually believe in the power of prayer. We believe that we can have access to the God of the universe, to the creator of everything, and that God, we would say, would you come and rescue us? Would you come and deliver us from evil? Would you come and set us free? Would you come and deal with our bitterness and unforgiveness, God? Set us free, Lord, we pray this morning. Again, just wherever you're at, just ask God, God, speak to me about one of these verses. What's one verse, God, you're wanting me just to really dig on? God, I want you to work in my heart right now. If there's something you can't let a hold of, if there's something you don't believe, allow God to speak in that place as we worship together.